right, well, you see my uh, lovely title up on the screen behind me. It looks very official. Small group strategy. Um, I'm going to draw some attention to this because as we've shared with you guys and trying to install these thoughts along the way, there are certain things in our practice as a church, certain things as part of the Christian life that are, they're non-negotiable. They're something to sacrifice for. They are what we call a hill to die on. Either to take that hill to get it into your life or to defend that hill and make sure you don't lose it. And, and small groups aren't necessarily the hill to die on, but fellowship is the hill to die on. And small groups are a means of experiencing fellowship. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that. But I can't help but appreciate the uniform of the small group army of the Mueller group. Can you guys stand up just so we can see this? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This is action happening here. And yeah, you got to read the t-shirt. This, is, this taps into my gift of sarcasm. You got to read the t-shirt. Jesus was in a small group. Hashtag just saying. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, see, I just need to come attend your small group just for the sake of the mockery that probably takes place in it. Uh, all right, we're going to read first from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's in your notes there. It'll be up on the screen or you can look at that in your Bible or your app. This is not a message out of 1 Corinthians 14 necessarily. It just happens to be that I'm drawing from 1 Corinthians and we've been living in that, that passage. So we didn't fast forward from chapter 9 to chapter 14 and skip anything. We're coming back to these verses. But, but notice this verse. It, it plays a particularly important role in what we're doing, kicking off small groups. Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 14. What then, brothers, when you come together... Each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak. Let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. And I've titled this, this message, Small Group Strategy, because that's what that verse is, isn't it? It's a strategy. It's a strategy verse. When you come together, here's some instruction, here's some strategy, here's how you use your time, here's how you make use of the resources, etc., that are going to be in your, your small group setting. So this is a strategy verse. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but have you paid attention to how much of the New Testament is our strategy verses? Have you noticed? A lot of them are giving strategies about how to do certain things. Ways in which our lives are to be absorbed in something. Make some adjustments over here so that this can be done this way. Relate to one another, not like this, but like this. And then it's attached to some great purpose. And 
I'm aware of this this morning, right? That this, this sings for me, right? I want to talk, I want to talk church strategy with you this morning. But I, I, I guess there's a bunch of you here that are kind of like, really? Could we, could we talk about something that really connects more with me and where I'm at? And, and I kind of get that at one level, right? I mean, I, I, I live with a household of very different settings people are all in different settings right so uh, my, my house could be a microcosm of what everybody's chapters of life are kind of going through right so uh, my, my wife is, is a homemaker and she's investing her life in, in our lives and into her home and into caring for us serving us and uh, launching us out into life you know maybe there'd be a different category besides church strategy she'd like to hear about this morning. I've got two daughters who are uh, moving on into careers at this point, taking their first steps into the career world. So maybe there's a bunch of folks here who are career is a major item. Can we talk careers this morning? A bunch of them in college. Uh, How many got four left in college at this point? Three left in college. Um, College is a big deal. I've got one high school student, got one middle school student. So, you know, not sure church strategy is what they all want to talk about. Maybe it's not what you want to talk about either, right? But, you know, when you pick the Bible up, and, and sometimes I, I know I can get guilty of this, and this is not an apology using the word guilty. The Apostle Paul's very strategic. He's got a lot to say about the strategy of the church. You know, you pick up somber people like, like a John Piper who's, Serious, And, you know, John Piper's got that teaching on a wartime mentality. If you haven't heard John Piper's teaching on a wartime mentality, you need to. However, the second you hear it, you're kind of like, really, John, all the time? We live every day like we're at war and all of our priorities, etc. Somebody reminded me of a message I did a number of years ago about the church called uh, the church cruise ship or battleship. I don't know if you guys remember that message from a bunch of years ago. All this is strategic talk. Right, we're, we're talking about the importance of doing things a certain way. And you know, you wonder, if you bumped into the Apostle Paul, would he ever just shot the breeze with you about, you know, the Roman economy? Or did he, did he ever just have a moment where he talked about the Olympic Games? It took place right outside of Corinth, you know? Did he, did he ever, just his favorite athlete, you know? Did he talk about going to the gym? Did he have a hobby? Did he play golf? I mean, what, what, did he ever talk about other stuff? Because he just seems so zeroed in on this. Well... Ponder this with me for a moment. There there is a God who's created everything and he he has created each one of us and we're all living kind of a storyline. But but are you aware of this right now? We could say God is doing many things, but we could also very accurately say God is doing one thing. You follow me? And if you don't follow me, that's okay. But if you read the Bible, you will find out this God is doing one thing, although it'd be accurate to say he's doing many things. But that one thing is God is acting redemptively to draw men back to himself that they might be reconciled to him. That's the one thing God is doing. He's doing many things, but that's the one thing God is doing and the church is this massive part of that one thing that God is doing and the church 
does certain things. And the church has certain strategies about what it does and why it does what it does. So if, if there's a God who is doing one thing, and we in this room are doing many things, but we're part of that one thing. Can you get this, this reality? If your life, if your story whether it's homemaker or career or college or school or whatever it is, if your story becomes detached and meaninglessly related to the one thing God is doing, does your life still make sense in the grand scheme of things? I would answer no. When the creature's lives stop connecting to the creator's, life and activity our lives stop making sense and so if this one god has got this massive priority that that we can say god's doing one thing from the pages of the bible and that one thing doesn't show up in our priorities guess how easy it's going to be for you and i to have some really off the wall priorities for us to be majoring in minors for us to be requiring life to be a certain way that really isn't that important. For us to be exacting things from each other and from our careers and from our settings of life. Oh, we, we've got to have this. We've got to have that. Life's got to be a certain way because of the things that we're doing, our world has become so detached from the one thing God is doing. The one thing that God is doing. So listen, this is not irrelevant to your life. When we talk church strategy, we're talking the one thing God is doing through his church. And your life, my life, however uniquely different they are, is never to be distant from the one thing that God is doing. So this might not be your favorite subject, but everything you're doing in life cannot be more than arm's distance from this at any moment. Otherwise, I can promise you whatever you're doing is getting weird. And it's about to come off the rails. It's not going to work. It's going to disappoint you. You're going to shed a lot of tears and go through a lot of confusion in your life. So this is extremely relevant stuff here. So let me jump into this thought here. We're going to talk this, the, the strategy of meetings because I want to end up in, a, in a, a small group meeting. Let me just give a little bit of a thought about the strategy of meetings. Look in 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, don't overlook the significance of each of those words, when you come together, not maybe, if it works out, if ever, possibly, when you, there's a definiteness to it. Now, we live our lives with a sense that a a massive part of the strategy of our own lives is that we are going to be gathering with the church. When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. There's a lot of strategy there. There's moving parts and pieces. There's a goal in mind. What then... Brothers, and this is one of those summary moments. You know, when Paul, Paul's good about sticking the word therefore into passages. And in that moment, when you hit that therefore, you stop and you go, okay, how do we get here? And what's he saying before this? That now he's summarizing this. Well, same thing here. What then, brothers? So if I had to go back and find a starting, Paul, where'd you start talking about 
whatever you're summarizing here. I, I would probably back all the way up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, because he's going to list off gifts. He's, he's, he's strategically talking about spiritual gifts. Concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And then in verse 4, he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. There are varieties of gifts. And I don't think the Bible is intending to be exhaustive when it says that. I think it just begins to throw out examples. You know, there's a variety of cars out there. You know, there's Toyotas and Hondas and GMC. Okay, I didn't list them all, right? And I think that's how Paul talks about gifts sometimes. So I don't know if we ever get an exhaustive explanation for spiritual gifts how the holy spirit's alive in us but we do get some and we get a list here that when when paul's going to venture into life among the corinthians and he gets to chapter 12 he says hey i don't want you to be ignorant of when you go to do life together and you're, and you're relating there's a strategy here because there, there's spiritual gifts involved and he, and he lists off nine gifts in this setting now here's the humble reality and this is why this message is being preached to some degree I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read this list to you. You guys are familiar with it if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But remember, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is going to lead us to this verse in chapter 14. When you come together. So these gifts are about when we come together. So as I read this list, I want you to stop and tell me, you don't have to say it out loud, but in your own heart, when was the last time you saw any of these? Okay? Because these are instructions for when you come together. So there's a variety of gifts and he names them. There's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, gift of faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. All right, so if you just were staring at that list of nine gifts that just came to the top of Paul's head when he said, don't be ignorant about gifts, and then later on he's going to say, when you come together, basically bring those gifts with you. Strategy, bring them with you. And I were to say here, Lakeview Christian Center, when you come together, when was the last time you saw those gifts operate? And before you go blaming everybody else in your small group who doesn't seem to be operating in these gifts, when was the last time you operated in any of those gifts in your small group? Can you imagine, you know, we're 2019 and we have figured out a way to do church that doesn't need the strategies of the New Testament. We're so smart, aren't we? (laughs) Scary thought, isn't it? Well, here's a strategy for small groups. There is a gathering together, verse 26 of chapter 14, when we come together. And then there are spiritual gifts that are going to come with us into that setting. And there's going to be a bunch of them. And so I want to unpack what spiritual gifts are. But, but the way Paul says this going into this conversation in chapter 12. He says, listen, there's this variety. And I'm going to say there's a variety of coming together. We don't all come together the same way. And so it's good for us to be aware. This meeting is going to feel different than another meeting. Right? So I'm going to highlight that for us today. There's a variety of gifts. And Paul unpacks three words here to say something that's the same thing but got 
differences. There's a variety of gifts, a variety of service, and a variety of activities. That's how Paul says, when we come together and the Holy Spirit's operating, the New American Standard says gifts, there's a variety of these, gifts, ministries, and effects. I like that word. There's a variety of effects. Right? So you're going to be affected by things when the Holy Spirit's operating through various gifts. But there's a variety of effects. You're going to be affected one way this morning as we gather in this setting. You're going to be affected differently in a different setting when different gifts are operating. You might be affected by a person's use of their gift toward you in your life differently depending on the gift. And God in his strategy said you need a variety. Your life demands a variety to come to you. Just not one thing. Right? And, and I'm, you know, I could probably say if we were one thing and we were big on one thing, uh, you know, it, it'd, be, it'd be the Bible. So it'd be teaching. And so I, I, I don't want to discourage that. That's a, a vital aspect that we'll talk about today. But it, it cannot be the only aspect. There are other hills to die on. And other things to experience. And your life at some moment is going to find itself in a, in a situation, in a circumstance, in a condition that you're going to need a variety of things to touch you, to bring you out of that, to get you through it, to care for your soul. Right? So here, here's a variety of settings. So if you're in Lakeview Christian Center, you recognize all these settings because uh, they're strategic. Right? These are, we, we have designed the church strategically. We haven't just, uh, let's just come up with something. Let's just stick that on the calendar. Let's give that a whirl. Uh, no, we've stared at the New Testament, and as best we can say, we have pulled out these seven hills to die on, and we said these things are critical. They've got to be in the life of the church. Strategically, where can we put them? And how can we best help them to operate in our lives? Right? So there's a variety of settings to create these moments. Right? So there's a Sunday morning setting. Right? You guys see this in your outline there, page two? What is a Sunday morning setting? Well, it features corporate experiences and opportunities. There's worship and celebration of our covenant God. Right? We could do that if there were 10 of us here. We could do that if there were 10,000 here. It wouldn't matter how big. We would all be turning our attention to God and beholding him. And music and song would be helping us to meditate on the realities of who he is. And we'd be singing back to God because God loves singing. So we do that no matter how big, right? If we get enough amplification, we can do teaching to 10,000, 20,000. That's not a problem. So there's a variety in this setting that's unique to this setting. We minister the word. We give out some corporate communication and connection opportunities. Here's what's happening. We stay organized administratively. And at some level, we will do some personal ministry here in this setting as well. We will do some personal ministry in this setting. But ponder this reality. There are some here in this bigger meeting who have never received any personal lay hands on you, pray with you, invite the Holy Spirit into your personal situation by an individual praying and engaging you. Again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there, there are many people in this room who have never experienced that in this meeting. The Bible is going to be very clear that that's a dimension that we need. My soul needs that. So if, you, if you're not going to get that in this meeting, 
Where are you going to get that, right? There is a dimension of fellowship that my soul needs. Ponder this thought. There are people who populate this meeting every week who never relate to another person at Lakeview Christian Center outside of this meeting. There's no conversation. There's no involvement. There's no exchange of care or awareness with one another. It's very limited. And you're getting something out of this meeting. I'm not knocking this meeting. We're not changing this meeting or doing away with it. It just doesn't do everything that you need for it to do. There are, there are serving settings that are in your life, right? There are ministry teams, ministry settings, where we advance the mission of the church through our efforts to serve with our gifts and our talents. Right? The cantata was a talent example of a setting that folks can serve in. Uh, these include settings like children's ministry, greeting team, prayer team, alpha team, events setup teams, where gifts that God has given and um, abilities he's given are going to find a place to serve. Right? But again, these are strategies to make the church capable of doing what it's supposed to be doing. But reality, there will be some who will attend this meeting who will never serve the local church. Right? That, that's, that's us deciding we have a different strategy in mind on how to do church and on how I'm going to be involved in church and how church best functions. You know, my view is church really doesn't need everybody to serve. It just needs a few people who burn themselves out serving. Uh, we need personal settings right we spent the whole summer talking about prayer closets and building personal prayer closets you need a place where there's reading and study and prayer and worship witness that's not necessarily part of what the whole church is doing it's what you're doing serving it's something you're doing all of these will find a setting and experience that are personal and even private that are not intended to be shared with others God is a personal God too so we love corporate dimensions, but if this is all you got, if, if your greatest times of interaction with God only come at the aid of a preacher who pulls you into a Bible text, I, I, hey, listen, I, I'm, that's why I'm here, and no complaints. That every, all the pastors, we, we want to pull our lives into a Bible text, and we work all week long to figure out how to do that and ask God for that. But if that's all you're doing, can I, can I say, we are reinventing the strategies of God. And it just doesn't work. You need encounters with God that have got nothing to do with the people sitting next to you or the person standing in this pulpit. It's got everything to do with the creator who created you. And he personally knows you. And he wants to be near to you. And he wants to use your name. And and, and speak to specific things in your life. So these are settings, right? So we need a variety, right? That's what Paul's saying. We need a variety of settings. Small groups are a setting. Right? It's an intentional group of others that we do discipleship with. Right? <clears throat> All right. A couple, couple of notes here I feel like we need to make. Just because we've been doing small groups for a long time. But maybe there's some things that have been said or misunderstood along the way. All right. First, we cannot and will not and in some ways should not do life with everyone. Please feel released <laughs> from that burden. Uh, you should not be at Lakeview Christian Center feeling like I need to be able to relate to all these people because this is my local church. No, I don't think so at all. 
I find nothing in the Bible that says that. And what I do find in the Bible says, no, you're not quite capable of that. God can have a relationship with all these people, but you cannot. And, and social media doesn't help you, right? I mean, that, that quick drive-by of people's lives is not exactly qualified to be called fellowship. It's, it's more like voyeurism, but that's a whole different uh, thing for us to talk about. Um, but, but do feel released in that you're, you're not called to do life with everyone, and everyone's not called to do life with you. And there's aspects to your life that, in the body of Christ, and, you, and some people might need to come talk to me after I say some of these things, but um, there's aspects to your life that that guy over there and that woman over there, it's none of their business. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe we should talk later. <laughs> uh, but there is this sense that if we're all the body and we're all Christians and we're all God's children, uh, I should have access to all your news. No, no, I wouldn't know what to do with it in the first place. And I'm not sure I'm called to know everything about what's going on in your life. But, but somebody is called to get up close and involved. And so be careful about who that is, right? Don't do that poorly. Second, some may find an aspect of these connections with fellow family members. Some with lifelong friends that God has blessed them with. All right, so we do this thing called small groups and all of a sudden you're jumping in. You might know some people, you might not. That, this, this is not intended to kick people out of your life. Like, well, I'm in a small group, so I know I've known you for 20 years, but talk to the hand, you know. <laughs> These are my peeps now. Um, you know, those peeps might grow in your life and become larger and larger, more influential. But there are some people God's put in your life. It could be your own family is, is very much a, a means of fellowship and grace in your life. It, it could be lifelong folks that you've walked with, right? That, so we don't want to sound like, hey, until you register officially on the app for a small group, you're not fellowshipping with anybody, all right? Okay, we don't want to sound that way. And if we have sounded that way, we probably need to fix that. Uh, Small group ministry provides a setting that is guided and overseen by the elders of the local church where appropriate boundaries are in place for doctrine, direction, and relational elements for that setting. So I never want to, I never want to tell you this because it's not biblical. I don't want to tell you, you know, because of the oversight of a church, the church is a safe place. You guys know that in a fallen world, there is no such thing as a safe place. Your marriage is not a safe place. And those of you who have been through difficulties in marriage, you understand what that means. Uh, This is a fallen world. Everything can come off the rails and it tends to. The only safety you and I have is under the wings of God. And the good thing is he travels with us into these places. But that doesn't mean we don't have wisdom and create settings that we're intentional about that need to have appropriate wise boundaries so that somebody who just walks in with a scatterbrained idea about what it means to relate to another person doesn't have permission just to create their own world inside of Lakeview Christian Center. Now, that's why there's leaders. That's why there's elders who interact with those settings. And so our small group leaders interact with us and they bump into things and things happen and needs come up in people's lives and they can come back to us and say, hey, could you... What do you think about this? We had this go on the other night. I've got a person in my group who's going through this. Could you give us some thoughts about that? Could maybe they come talk to one of the pastors? All right, so, so this is a setting that's intentionally getting some leadership and guidance in a biblical way from elders. All right, here's a good definition for fellowship. 
Small group ministry provides a setting where unique aspects of Christian discipleship can be done with others. These include the ministry dynamics like care, encouragement, friendship, support, accountability, discussion, counsel, learning, serving, personal ministry. Certain spiritual gifts. Now that, that's, a good, that's a good definition for fellowship. If you say, hey, well, what is that? You keep throwing this word fellowship. Fellowship is made up of those ingredients, right? And it's kind of a jambalaya of stuff, man. And it's got that in it. The church should, should touch your life in ways that feel like all that stuff right there. At different moments, it touches your life. That's fellowship, right? We, we need that in our lives, right? So... This morning, I want to, this little bar graph deal that we got going on up here is intended to illustrate there are three dimensions that we want our small groups to specialize in, that we want our leaders to facilitate a particular way, and we want each person of the body to come and engage this ministry in order to pursue these three things, right? So one of those would be fellowship that we just described. A second would be the application of the word, the application of the word, right? While small groups are not designed to feature teaching, we do want them to help us with putting on and experiencing the power and impact of God's word. So we don't ask our small group leaders to be Bible teachers. They need to have Bible knowledge. They need to be walking with God and relating appropriately to scripture, but we're not asking them to teach We're not asking them to sit down with you and and teach something for 30 minutes. Uh, We're asking them to help you engage things that you have been taught. And that could come through a Sunday morning meeting. could come through a a resource that we're giving out. So the word is drastically important, as you're going to see in this little chart thing here. And then the, the last category, the third category, is the use of spiritual gifts. There are particular gifts given by the Holy Spirit that are needed in our walks and that require a smaller relational setting that's provided by small groups. Times of ministry and prayer that afford opportunities for the exchange of words of prophecy and words of wisdom and knowledge, gifts of faith and healing, words of exhortation. Maybe some of the nine that many of us are saying here, yeah, I see that list of nine, I just don't ever see it, if you know what I mean. Well, small groups are the ripe place for this sort of ministry to take place. So we, we want to see these three things happening here. And so what you got there is, is kind of a charted uh, historic and future opinion about what our groups have typically featured, right? Historically, uh, probably the lead thing that our groups feel like they do is discuss and apply and interact with the Word of God, with Bible content and truth. And so you come into a meeting and leaders going to focus that on the meeting. Hey, this is where we're moving. Uh, going to ask a lot of questions. Going to see how's this going for you. What do you understand? You have questions, comments. Let's discuss this. And that, that's a feature component to what our small groups do. And, and maybe historically second to that is fellowship where we're building friendships with each other. We spend time together. We take part of the meeting and catch up. Hey, how did that go last week? How'd that job interview do? Hey, how can, how can we care for you? What's going on right now? Uh, that, that's connection and friendship. But that third component, what we have noticed historically is that third component is, a, is historically a small place in our groups where spiritual gifts are made 
given a platform and there's room made for them and there's focus and attention given to that. And that's an aspect of what we're all coming together to do. So, you know, maybe that's under the 10% mark of what a small group does over time. And, and that little image next to it, the, the future covenant groups, we'd like to see those get a little more evened out. Right? Uh, probably would mean pulling back some of the time we spend dis- discussing the word, applying the word, maybe adjusting some fellowship dimensions of what we do and, and creating space and influence for the operation of the gifts, the presence of God in our meetings, Right. We, we need these three things. So that's why that, that bar, I want you to walk out of here with that bar chart emblazoned on your head. That's when you go into a small group meeting, you're looking for these three things. You're looking for them. You're bringing them with you. You're looking for the leader to lead you in the direction of encountering all three of these things. Right. So we, we don't want to fall behind in any of these categories because we need them all. Because the strategy of God involves a variety of of ministries that produce a variety of effects on our lives. So this is not to denigrate any one of these. It's to make room for all of them because the Bible teaches a variety. And we don't get to choose to slim down the variety. Right? A quick question because I, I realize this. As we bring more emphasis in this area, um, if we would be known for anything as a, as a church, it would be the weight we put on teaching and the weight we put on teaching the word of God. So that probably, if you're new to the church, that's probably why you came. Right? You, you came here because you'd heard that, you saw it online, you listened to some messages, you got among us, and hey, this is a church with a priority on the word of God. And so you're here. And then all of a sudden, maybe you left a church that was like, man, there's just not a lot of Bible teaching in my church. There's, there's a lot more other stuff going on. And so I, 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 I want to go somewhere where that's going to happen more. And, and here mid-course, it feels like for you, this is not mid-course because we've done this a number of times, but it may feel like, hey, all of a sudden now you're trying to be one of those like edgy, charismatic places that's into stuff like prophecy and words of knowledge, etc. cetera. Um, all right, let, 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 me, let me strengthen something in your mind just so you understand this. And those of you guys have been in part of the church a long time, I don't need to say some of these things, but recognize there are people who haven't been here a long time. And so they're trying, still trying to figure out who, who are we around here exactly? So why historically, when you look on our historic covenant group setting, why is the ministry of the word, the application of the word so big? Why is that so big? Well, because that's a massive priority for us. And it will always be a massive priority for us. And it's not going anywhere. Right? So, so we don't have any intention of abandoning our dependency upon accurately understanding the word of God. And for those of us who have been uh, in the charismatic world and have not been exposed to understanding, that there is, there's power, there's Holy Ghost power. Give me that Holy Ghost power. I mean, we got a whole vernacular, right? We got a whole system of words that we use to describe power in a particular way. Everybody, everybody's aware this is powerful. This word is powerful. It does stuff to people, right? I, if I take it off the leash here and let it loose in the room, you better pay attention to it. Because if it comes and finds you, it could bite you and draw blood. I mean, it, this thing's dangerous, right? It's powerful, right? And here, let me just explain our view on this. And I'll run through these verses really fast just to give you a flavor. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, of dis- and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Right, So that there are moments, and you all know what I'm talking about, there are moments when God interacts with what's on the inside of us and it feels like an invasion, a revelation. You know, something got pulled back and, the, and what's going on in my heart just got revealed, right? Listen, that can happen if you came forward today and somebody had a word of knowledge or prophecy for you. That can happen just from preaching this word. So... Please, can we please not be a church who's weird when it comes to power? That we choose one of these or the other? We either want charismatic power or we want Bible power. Uh, I'd like for you to show me where you got permission to choose. All right, so you don't get to love one over the other. All right, 1 Timothy 6, chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. How do you and I get from wherever we are to godliness? How do we get there? Teaching. But not only teaching. So even though I'm a teacher and you know I take a lot of time each week to teach. That's not the only thing we need. But it is a critical part of what we need. First Timothy, or 2 Timothy 1. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What was that good deposit? It's the gospel. It's what we teach. It's a body of doctrine. Guard it, Timothy. 2 Timothy 2. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I I think when I look at these places, I can make a case that the Bible does some things that spiritual gifts don't do. I think I can make that case. And that same Bible is going to turn around and talk about spiritual gifts. And I think I can make the case that spiritual gifts do some things the Bible doesn't do. So I don't have the ability to separate these things. I mean, this is Paul at the end of his life telling Timothy these things. Paul didn't learn something that displaced the word of God. Paul didn't learn a technique. He didn't learn some aspect of ministry. He didn't take prophecy that he's encouraging the Corinthians, to all pursue prophecy. He didn't take prophecy and say, hey, Timothy, forget about that Bible stuff and all the scripture stuff. Just, just prophesy really, really well, Timothy. He doesn't do that. Although he does encourage that we would prophesy. All right, James chapter one. It's a very helpful verse because this is what we're doing in small groups. Verse 21. Receive, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What's able to save? The word has that kind of power and you and I are being told to make room for it. Let it get in us. Receive it. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
He looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. And so we gather in small groups so we don't forget what you heard this morning. I can move on and just keep being the me I've always been. But then I sit with others and I talk about what this means and how it affects me and where I'm struggling with it. And how can you pray for me, right? That's what we're doing in small groups. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and preserves, perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. This is strategy, isn't it? This is strategy for the homemaker. This is strategy for the career person. This is strategy for the college person. This is strategy for the high school person. If I want to be blessed in my doing, I might need the strategies of God to touch my life. So is this relevant to you because you're not a pastor and talking church strategy isn't exactly in your wheelhouse? It's relevant to you if you want to be blessed in your doing. We receive the word by learning, counseling, discussing, considering, and applying the word to our walks. This is greatly enabled by small group settings that afford helpful leadership, encouraging testimonies, faith-building experiences, and wise counsel. Now, having said that, let me make this point as strongly. There is more to ministry than teaching. There's a variety, right? Remember, a variety of ministry and effects and human needs require a variety of gifts. The teaching gift is not the answer to everything. Said the teacher. In some ways, this isn't hard for me to preach because it, it properly takes some weight off of teaching. And pushes it back out into our lives as a body where it belongs. So that we're not a church that the only thing we do is teach. And that's, boy, that's got to do everything. It's got to do everything in our lives. It's got to transform everybody. It's got to meet everybody's need. It's got to make them feel fulfilled. No, there's a lot of strategy of God in these areas. All right, Jesus' ministry was an interesting thing to observe. I'm going to look at a couple of things from him before we end up praying. It says Jesus, Matthew 9, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus didn't just show up in towns and teach, although he did show up in towns and teach. Jesus didn't show up in towns and just do miracles. Although he did show up in town and do miracles. But when Jesus does this, he he illustrates something. That people are coming to a a Jesus meeting. They need to hear him teach in such a way that they walk away going, we've never heard anybody say these kinds of things. He speaks as one who has authority. But Jesus draws near to people's whole life. Their whole life. Their physical existence. Their emotional existence. And he reaches into those categories, not with teaching. He doesn't teach their sicknesses away. Right? We get that, right? He touched them supernaturally with gifts of the Spirit that touched their bodies. When Jesus interacted with people's emotions and the turmoil of their soul, he didn't always teach that away. Sometimes he did, but sometimes he did not. 
He connected with them in a personal way. That, that, that's the soul need of that. This Jesus puts on display that, that we need a well-orbed variety of things to come touch our lives. We need that as a church. So what we're not doing is trying to strip from our church teaching and jack up some other form. No, we're just trying to add to teaching other forms of ministry that are valid. And, and, and please realize, you live in a time that church strategies are so weird. Just, they just ignore the Bible. You know, our average church is, is declining. Medium-sized to larger churches are holding their own. Mega churches are adding numbers at some level. But, but you know, here's what characterizes, for instance, a megachurch quite often. Not all of them, but quite often. A dynamic speaker who can hold your attention, interact with your life, and at some level, we hope, preach God's word and and interact with us at a teaching level. Service takes about an hour and 15 minutes because they've got another service coming right behind. They've got to get you in here, get you back out. The people in that room relate very little to each other. Outside of that big meeting where thousands are gathering on a weekend, but if they do anything else beyond that meeting, only hundreds gather for that. So the vast majority of the church doesn't do something that looks like fellowship like we just described. They just, they go to church. They're a part of that church, but church for them is so limited. They're not exercising spiritual gifts amongst one another. They're not bringing their gifts to bear on each other's lives in a way that would make a unique difference in people's soul in a way that the dynamic speaker could never make a difference in their lives. But that's their strategy. Good talker, big setting, brief as possible, go about on your way. Okay, uh, where we get that strategy? Well, you guys have read your Bible a little bit, right? Does that sound like that's all we need? That's it. Can I tell you, your soul doesn't need just that. Your life doesn't need just that. And, and then there are churches that, that pick and choose things. You got churches that just all they do is, is share how to make a decision for Jesus, share how to make a decision for Jesus. The church becomes very evangelistic. It becomes very less, hey, uh, and they almost curse the people inside the building. The heck with you people. It's the people outside the building that matter. And they got this, this approach to life that feels like evangelism is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. I don't find that in the Bible. I find that is a piece of everything else that's in the Bible. But yet that church can feel that way. They don't do fellowship well. They don't operate in these gifts of the Spirit very well. And listen, we don't get to choose this stuff. We get to read what God has said and strategize in a like-minded way with what he has to say. So when you and I go to do ministry, teaching is not enough. It's not enough for our small groups. It's not enough just to come together. My goal when I come together is to remember what the message was about on Sunday and be able to answer two questions from my leader and contribute something. Hey, that's a start. That's a start. But that's not all we're doing, right, when we come together. Right, so let me highlight something. I'm going to fly through these couple of verses here. But, but if, if gifts are anything, gifts are God showing up through human agency. Can I call it that? That's what gifts are. The gifts of the Spirit are God showing up through human agency. How many guys have understood that the God of the universe doesn't need human agency? Then what's the big deal with the gifts given to us, right? Why, why do you do that, God? 
You could just show up. Well, he could. But he chooses not to. And he makes gifts available. And he requires that somebody's blessing from God is going to travel through a human being to arrive there. Right? So let me just give you a couple of examples of that. These are somewhat strange examples in some ways. But this is all over scripture. This is just what comes to mind. Genesis 20 verse 7. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, right? So there's, there's King Abimelech is in a situation here that, that he's unwise. He has stepped across the border. He has stolen Abraham's wife. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's in a bit of a pickle here. Return the man's wife, for he's a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all, and all who are yours. And then if few verses later, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. And so there comes a moment when God is going to deal with a man named Abimelech who actually kind of, he got out of bounds sort of by accident. He didn't, not like he intended to steal this man's wife, but a need is now in his life and God wants to interact with that need. And what God does is tell him Abimelech, for you to receive the grace that I have for you. And not only that, but there was, there was in the land, Abimelech's land, they were having a hard time having children. So there was a need amongst these people. God requires Abimelech to go to a man named Abraham where Abraham can pray for him. And that's what secures the blessing in his life. I guess he could have just texted that though. Maybe not. Um, there is something about human contact That God comes into our lives with grace in certain ways through human agency. That's what gifts are. It's God depositing himself in certain ways into us that now we must transfer that to others and we must receive it from them. That's what gifts are. 1 Kings 13. The king said to the man of God, whoever he is, he doesn't even get a name in this chapter. Entreat now the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. This is King Jeroboam. And the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Why doesn't Jeroboam just ask God himself? He's busy. He's a king for goodness sake. He's got appointments. He's got a lot going on. Why does he need to get around the man of God and have the man of God pray for him? I don't know. (laughs) But it's there, isn't it? And it's all over the place. That God chooses to show up and be present through human agency. So when the Bible says, you know, to make use of these spiritual gifts, it requires us to come in contact with each other. It requires us to bring God near to somebody. And you can't use the argument, well, God's near to everybody. Well, he was near to these people too. Well, everybody's got the Holy Spirit. Well, then what's the point of gifts? Don't even waste the ink. Just tell everybody, you have the Holy Spirit. You got whatever you need. You received it in fullness. Come on. You got a, you got a bobo? Pray for yourself. Lay hands wherever it is. You'll be fine. No, 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 no. You got to go find somebody to pray for you. What's up with that? You may not have the particular gift that's needed for your need, but somebody else does. And so you're going to them. 
Matthew 19, Jesus illustrated this. Children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. Jesus, he did that. He he made contact with them. The evening at sundown, Mark chapter 1, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons and the whole city was gathered at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He may have taught, he may not have. But he, he met needs in their life. Right, let me use one last illustration here. This, this is just ripe for help with. What are we doing in these small group settings where gifts are being used a particular way? Right, John chapter 4 is a familiar story to us. It's the story of Jesus encountering the woman at the well. So here's just a, a quick reminder of that story. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. All right, this, this, is, this is Jesus interacting with an individual who has a thirsty life. All right, so that's a lot of people, isn't it? That's not just this woman. There's lots of people who they do life and they're just on the inside, they're never satisfied. They never arrive at a place where life is, is full of peace and it's making sense. And they're just driven from one thing to the next. And their soul is thirsty. Jesus knows that about this woman. That would be safe for us to say we could probably know that about most people. And he begins to interact with her about her thirsty soul. Now, now remember... Um, She's going she's gonna to run to wells after wells after wells trying to find this thirst. That's the pattern of her life. We're going to find out something about her. That, that she's been married five times and she's having an affair or she's involved with yet another man. So she's drank from six wells. And at some point she'll probably be on to number seven. And it may not take too much longer. Because she's living a thirsty life. So this is a, a person like any of us could be. Life feels empty and desperate and we're driven from one place to another. How do you minister to that person? Jesus said, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Jesus has a little longer conversation with her. And in part of that conversation, there's a little bit of a debate that takes place. There's a little bit of a teaching moment here. It's a debate about the Samaritans and their view on worship and where you should worship versus the Jews. It's a little bit of a political debate, etc. And she tries to draw Jesus into that conversation. And, and Jesus interacts with that for about two seconds. And then he turns to what really needs to be talked about with her. 
she didn't need a teaching on worship locations. She needed somebody to reach into her soul and identify what's driving her from man to man to man, from empty, desperate place to empty, desperate place. And Jesus is going to arrive there, not by teaching, but by some kind of revelatory gift in that moment, a word of prophecy, a word of knowledge or wisdom. He gets insight into what's been going on in her life that he could not have had even by reading the Bible. That Samaritan woman is not in Genesis. Her situation is not previously described or prophesied about. He cannot expound a passage to her. Although, when Jesus taught, he floored people. And the, living, the word of God is living and active. So, the word, you know, if Jesus decided to teach, it would have had some kind of an impact, I'm sure. But that's not what she needed in that moment. She needed somebody to read her mail. She needed somebody to say, you know, there's a God who's paying attention to you. And he knows about every day, every tear you've shed, every broken relationship you've ever had. And when Jesus does this, this woman comes to life. Verse 39 she goes, right, she goes running back to her village, which if you know the story, you know, the bigger context of a, a, this, this woman who's living with a man who's had five husbands, who's going to draw water when nobody else is there. Imagine the life this poor woman's living. She doesn't do a lot of public ministry until she meets Jesus and he has one prophetic insight And she goes running back to town like a loudmouth, screaming and drawing attention to herself. Just moments ago, she didn't want anybody to know that she even existed. I don't want to have to have a conversation with anybody. I'm coming to the well when I know no one's going to be here. And sure enough, Jesus is here. How did that happen? But once the insides of her get peeled back by this word, she goes running back to this town. She is already a different woman. And she gets back there. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Come and meet somebody who knows you. He knows me. He knew all about my life. I'm not forgotten. That's what that word did. Can I, can I tell you, that's what some of these gifts do. They pry their way into your private safe and vault where you've hidden away something about your life that's controlling you, that's crushing you, that no one knows about. And suddenly God says, I want, I want to get the most mileage out of my conversation with you. I want to talk to you about that. And he gives somebody else insight into that. And they come and bring it up with you in some weird way. Those are spiritual gifts. I know that can be a little weird, right? But it's pretty powerful, isn't it? What a ministry. And Paul picks this up just before we get to these passages in 1 Corinthians 14, a little bit earlier. 
He speaks about prophecy and the nature of it and what it does when prophecy is active in our gatherings. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together, all speak in tongues and an outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that, that you're out of your minds? Right? The, the, the gift of tongues should be used a certain way and it can become a confusing gift in a public setting. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, let's know what happens when you get on the receiving end of prophecy. He is convicted by all. He's called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. That was the Samaritan woman, wasn't it? The secrets that were binding up and crushing her life were disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God really is among you. That's the Corinthian meeting. But that's exactly what the Samaritan woman did, didn't it? She went running back to the, to the village and she said, come and meet a person who told me everything about me. The next question is, could he be the Christ? How did she arrive at that? Because he did a really good job of explaining Genesis to her? No, not this time. She arrived there because of a word that revealed a secret in her own soul. Jesus knew for her, that's the ministry that needs to take place. I could teach and we could talk worship, but what you really need is for us to talk about that and for you to be aware God knows about that in your life. Listen, church, that's a variety of ministry, right? That's not the only ministry. Uh, We're not going to shut down preaching the word of God and only do that from now on. But you might need that. As a matter of fact, it might reach into your heart in a way that today's message doesn't reach you. But you could be sitting in a small group and somebody has a, a revelation that they share that makes you go, oh my gosh, only God knows that. And if God is showing me that, it's because he loves me. And he cares about the details and he knows what I'm going through. And, and, and that affects you and you change as a result. Listen, this is what spiritual gifts do. Sometimes it's not a teaching moment. It is a nearness moment. So let me conclude with this thought. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has. Each one has. Each one has something like this. Each one is discovering The abilities that God has deposited in you that he now wants to transfer to others. God is going to make his presence known to people through you. Do you have any idea what that might be? What has God given to you to bring to the party? And there's a, you know, to him, there's a lesson, there's a revelation of tongue or interpretation or one of the other nine gifts mentioned earlier in this section. I might need to learn those things. So here's what we're asking as we kick off small groups. I want to pray for our small group leaders as we close the service today. What are we asking our small group leaders and small group members? All right, the last thing in your outline there. First, that each participant come prepared to be intentional in these three areas of small group ministry. Small groups need all three of these things. They need a variety of things to be happening. These are the three things. So we we engage fellowship. 
We engage the application of God's word and we engage the ministry of the Holy Spirit through spiritual gifts. So that's what we want to see happening on a regular basis in our lives. Next, that over a few weeks time, there should be a balance of emphasis and intentionality in each of the three areas that are essential to small groups. So we've talked to our small group leaders this summer. Uh, We don't believe you can do all three of these in every meeting. It's too much to try and accomplish in one space. Sometimes you can do smaller pieces of them in each meeting. Sometimes you might only be able to do one. And sometimes you can do one and a half, two of these. But over the life of being in a small group, you should regularly be strengthened in all three of these areas. And so we're asking our small group leaders to seek to invigorate that. You can pray for them. You can participate with them in these categories. So what's that going to mean? Example, your leader may feel led to feature an extended time of waiting on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're asking them to do that. We are aware of our need that as elders, uh, that's why we're doing this, we are happy to meet with any of you who have any questions in this area. Right, so there's, there's probably folks here who are saying, hey, this is, this, is the, this is where the church gets weird for me. Um, okay, I, we get that. Get that. Can I, can I just invite you to do this? Can, can you at least first, before you even figure out whether you should or shouldn't or whether you're comfortable with or not, can you at least stare into the Bible and tell me, do you see this here? I guess remember, we preach the Bible and a lot of you are real big on preaching the Bible. That's why you're here. But we preach the Bible and we say these things because they're in the Bible. Because they're clearly in the Bible. And they're modeled for us in the Bible. And we can't figure out another way to do church. We don't have a better strategy than this. So before you start saying, but you don't understand, I came from a church, or I've read about, or I've heard about, you know, weird stuff in this category. Can you set that aside, right, and just see what this has to say first? Right? But I've been, in, I've been in bad marriages, and my parents got a divorce, et cetera, et cetera. Does that mean we're done with marriage? We're no, no one should ever get married again because marriages can be hard and people get divorced. And so, no, I open the Bible. And what's the Bible got to say about marriage? And that decides for me, am I going to do marriage or not? So this is the same thing. But if you're struggling with this, we get that. Please don't feel like this is like, oh, you know, if you struggle in this, you're really weird. And we don't get you. Come and talk to us. I'm pretty sure no one here is going to say anything that we haven't heard something about. And some of us have had to walk through the same things. To get to a place where we understand and embrace these dimensions. So don't, don't run from this if it's weird for you or different. I seriously doubt, and I've said this to some of you guys who have, thank you, who have come in and asked us. Um, so if you're thinking, oh, oh gosh, I was planning on going to small group this week. But, you know, if I walk in, you know, carrying a plate of potato salad and they're all speaking in tongues, I'm walking right out, you know. Um, <laughs> I can't guarantee you, but I can almost guarantee you that ain't going to be what happens. Right. Right. You know, as elders, we're all launching out saying, oh God, we believe for words of wisdom and prophecy. But can I just tell you, we'd be pretty happy if some of y'all would just pray out loud. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That would be a move of the spirit for some. And we'd be happy to be moving in this direction. So I don't think overnight we're all getting these incredible insights that come from nowhere and uh but you know maybe a few 
But that's something for us to pray about. One thing we want to do together, and, and this is what your small group meetings are going to be discussing this week, is can you at least agree that human beings are composed of a variety of needs that need to be ministered to in a variety of ways? And teaching is not the only thing that reaches people. It's a very important thing. It's not the only thing. So when you gather in small groups, this is what you're going to be talking about this week and and venturing out with us as we invigorate this area. But can we do this? Can I ask all the small group leaders and their wives, if you guys would stand up and find your way up here so we can pray for you invite God's spirit to meet you and empower you uniquely to lead us into these categories. How many of you guys can get that these guys have been asked um, to create a setting where there's a lot of silence and there's waiting on the spirit and there's timidity from people and there's questions about what's the right thing and what's not the right thing and how do you help that and not quench it uh, right this is a task that's before them and we have multiple meetings we met with folks individually in smaller groups and talked through a lot of these things and so what I'm grateful for is every one of these leaders are, are leaning in because they see this in the bible not because we're requiring this of them because they they love God's word and they want all that God has to say but, but Paul doesn't even explain, hey, Paul, what's the difference between a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge and a prophecy? How many of y'all know the Bible doesn't explain that? Much less, here's how you cue one of those. Okay, word of wisdom, people, go. I mean, it's, how do you even do this stuff? I don't know. Because the Bible didn't tell us great detail. Maybe that's because we would just need to do it in a variety of ways. And we need to be led by the Spirit. And that's what these guys are going to attempt to do. And that's what we trust as you are a part of small groups. You're attempting to do that as well. So can we pray that God would meet us in these endeavors and particularly pray for our leaders and their wives. Just stand up with me and lift our hearts to God in this area. Invite him. Lord, I thank you that whatever noise our lives were making when we came in here, whether it's college noise, career noise, health noise, whatever it was, Lord, we are reminded when we're together here, the God of the universe is doing one thing. And these little meetings where believers get together and an expression of discipleship takes place is strategically critical to that one thing. And what takes place in these settings, Lord, it spills over into colleges and careers, caring for children. It touches who we are, God. So Lord, we, we want to invite what you want for these groups to be. When you gather, Lord, for some of us here in this room, Lord, would you just let us hear that you're calling us to gather, not to sit this out. And we need it. It's strategic. 
And when we gather, and there's a variety of spiritual gifts that are present, and one of those gifts is the gift of leadership. And God, we so thank you for these leaders in our lives. Who by faith want to step into an area that they see in Scripture and and steer it in a godly, biblical way. So Lord, we join with them. Lord, all of us who are in this church are the rich beneficiaries of their lives, of their ministry, of the ways in which they make time to be with you, of the way they make time for us. And God, they're seeking and asking right now for you to lead them as they lead. And God, we're going to pray with them, all of our hearts lifted before your throne. God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, empower each one of these men and women to be receptive, to be insightful, to receive impressions and thoughts and guidance that, that come like Jesus suddenly knew that the trouble with this woman's got to do with her husband and her past. Well, Lord, there might be a meeting this week that one of these leaders needs to hear you say the focus of this meeting needs to be this. The need of somebody in the room is going to be this. And when we gather on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever we're gathering, God, your Holy Spirit is causing somebody like this woman to say, I'm not forgotten. God knows where I am. So Lord, would you let the power of your Holy Spirit lead and fall upon each one of these men and women so that as they gather with their small groups, You are leading them. You are prompting them. You are giving them grace. You are giving them courage. You are giving them faith to lead us into places that you want us to go. Lord, you want us to go here. And you could just tell us to go, but you provide leaders for us to take us there. That's just how you do it. So God, anoint these leaders and give them the grace that we need. So that this week as we gather, in weeks to come, and for years to come, we are a church that's rich in fellowship, the application of your word, and the ministry of your gifts among us. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you, guys.